What series did we start a couple weeks ago? Philippians. Was anybody else uh, as surprised as me when Chris Martin preached about Philippians and said, I just feel like Saturday night I'm supposed to preach about Philippians. Anybody else kind of surprised by that? I was. I was blessed by that. You'll understand why I'm sitting here in a minute. Um, Blessed by that. But today we're going to look again in a section of the letter of Philippians. We're going to be looking at Philippians 1, 3 to 11 in a few minutes. But I want to start today by you doing something with me. I want you to imagine the scene with me that this was written in. Remember, this is when we read a letter like this, this was a real man writing a real letter to real people. And we just get the privilege of, all, of, of looking in on what went on of God by the Spirit, inspiring it, and then preserving it for us. So I want you to try to, to imagine the scene with me. Paul was, the Apostle Paul was under arrest, and he was probably under house arrest, which means he was probably kept in a room some people think in, a, in the palace, but it could have actually been like a dungeon in the palace. But we know this, he was locked um, in a prison, um, chained to a Roman guard, that's what, it, what he would have been, um, and he was completely uncertain of his future. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. He's locked up, he's in prison, and he's going to be tried um, for, kind of funny, tried for doing really nothing wrong, telling people that, there was, that Jesus loved him. And that there was, a, there was a different way. There was a new king they could follow. Eventually, going down the path of Paul's life, he was end up being executed for his belief. His, his, his imprisonment eventually left, led to execution. And while Paul was in prison, he took out a quill, and it would have been a quill in an inkwell probably of some sort, and began, begins to write a thank you note to his friends in the city of Philippi. Um, and the friends that he writes to are the friends that make up the church in the city of Philippi in Macedonia, which is the church that Paul himself had planted years earlier, the first church um, that was ever established in Europe. Paul had that Macedonian call saying, come over here, and he went to Macedonia, and he finds some people um, praying on a Sabbath, and he tells them about the Lord, and some of them come to Christ. And based on that, little Stark, a church, a church in Philippi, is established. And so he's writing to these friends, these friends who said Paul had led to the Lord, and he started the church that they were, they were led to the Lord, and, and friends that had worked alongside Paul. And he talks about them. They had been worked alongside him in the ministry of the gospel, telling people about Jesus from the very first day they heard the gospel. And friends who beyond that also were constantly contributing to his financial well-being. I think we mentioned a couple weeks ago that in prison then, as in prisons in some places today, like Cambodia where we used to live, that if somebody doesn't bring you food when you're in prison, you don't eat. And so that was the situation in prison in that place at that time, that they had to supply, somebody from the outside had to supply for you. And Paul is sitting in prison, and he's being supplied for them, and he's chained to a guard, and he writes a thank you note. To his friends. And I want us to imagine a little bit of what that would have been like that day. So think of the Apostle Paul, would have probably had a head covering on, sitting in prison. He takes a quill. And I want you to do something with me, what he's communicating, what he writes. I want you to do your best to feel what he's communicating. Listen for the heart of Paul 
in the words that he wrote to his friends from prison in this text from verse 3 in chapter 1. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your part participation in the gospel. From the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve of the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What did it feel like as Paul wrote those words? What did you sense in Paul's emotion as he wrote those words? Could you feel Paul's heart? Could you feel his love for the Philippians that, that as I read it, it's so evident. Matter of fact, as I was studying this text, that was the thing that struck me and said, this is the thing I need to, I need to focus on today. The heart of Paul that we feel, we see revealed here. Because it's from Paul's heart, the things that he held most dearly that we find how he was able to live a joy-filled life even in the midst of incredible adversity. And remember, as we're looking through Philippians, that's the overall thing we're focusing on. That there was, Paul writes and expresses this reality of his heart being filled with joy even in the midst of adversity. And friends, I want to tell you this. I want to learn this lesson. If none of you are here, and I was just studying on my own. I want to learn this lesson. How could Paul be chained up and be, have his future uncertain sitting next to a guard with a quill and an inkwell and write these words that are filled with joy and grace and love? How could he do it? I want us to learn from Paul. So as we look at this text today, what do we learn about the heart of Paul from these verses. Because I think it's the key to understanding the joy of Paul. There's a couple of things. 
the first thing that I see as I look in this, and I hope you will see is this, that we see that Paul had a heart of gratitude. He had a heart of gratitude. And this is what we can see from, jo- from Paul, that that was a choice that Paul made. He had a heart of gratitude. It was a determination to see the good even when times were bad and to be grateful for the good. You know, imagine the reality of Paul's situation. He was in prison. Simply for telling other people that there was a a real king, a better king, and they could find real life in him. And while in prison, he takes out this quill and he writes a thank you note to the Philippians. Because be honest with yourself. That, That sink in for a moment. Because be honest with yourself as I'm trying to be honest with myself, if we were in prison or some other incredibly unpleasant situation, do you think that you or I would take the time to write a thank you note to someone who had been kind to us? In the midst of all this, we say, I know what I should do today. I should write a thank you note to this person. And my answer from my own heart and probably from yours is, Most likely not. We most likely would not have done that. Wouldn't we rather be focused on our difficulty? Wouldn't we rather be focused on our injustice? Wouldn't we rather be focused on our offense? And isn't that exactly what we're seeing in the world over and over, day in and day out in the news today? People all focused on their injustice, their difficulty, their offense. But Paul was different. And Paul is who I want to grow to be. I tease sometimes there's certain people I see and I say, when I grow up, I want to be like you. And sometimes they're younger than me. But here's the deal, we're all growing. When I look at this text, I say, Lord, I've got a long ways to go. I've got a long ways to go. See, Paul chose to be thankful to God and to those who had been kind to him And that's gratitude, and it was gratitude even in a situation that was worse and darker and more difficult than any situation probably any of us have ever faced in our entire lives. And verse 7 shows this so clearly. Look at verse 7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since since both in my imprisonment And the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. Paul's thinking back. He's recounting things that have happened. He recounts his trial before the court. He recounts his imprisonment, the really difficult times, the bad times. And what does he do? He sees the good. He remembers the people that were there with him. Paul shows us a key to having a heart of gratitude. It's choosing to see the good even in times that might not be so good and to be grateful for the good that is there. It is so easy, matter of fact, I'd say it's so natural for us to focus on the bad. It's so easy and so natural to focus on the unfair. But what a difference it makes when we look for the good. What we find from Paul is that it allows us to experience joy even in adversity. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of something that to me is probably one of the, maybe the greatest example that I could show you 
that could help us understand what it is to have a heart of gratitude. And it comes from somebody that most of you are familiar with, Mr. Rogers. Does anybody ever see that movie that came out about a year ago or so, maybe six months ago, from Mr. Rogers? Phenomenal movie. I think I rarely see a movie twice. I think I've seen it three times. Because I've said, this is that I want to be like Mr. Rogers. I want to be like Mr. Rogers. And what I want you to do today, in 1997, so a while ago, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, was given the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys. And he gave a speech at that, his acceptance speech. And I want you to see a small portion of his acceptance speech, about a minute long, and it will help us understand what a heart of gratitude is, a heart like Apostle Paul. So let's watch this short clip from Mr. Rogers. Oh, it's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. <laughs> so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about 10 seconds of silence and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. A little abrupt ending there, but you understand what he was getting at there. Matter of fact, some of you might be like some of the people in the audience and have tears in your eyes. Look what Fred Rogers did. He said, take 10 seconds. He didn't use these words, but this is what he's saying. And be grateful. Be grateful to, for those people who have helped you to become who you are. He says, those special ones who have helped you into being, becoming the person you are. Those who have cared about you and, and, and wanted what was best for you in your life. He didn't get up there and talk about himself. Thank you for my great achievements what everybody else does. Thank you for all my great achievements. He said, let's think about everybody else who helped us get where we are. And as he did that, did you notice the tears that came to people's eyes as they became for a moment grateful for those who were special in their lives? You see, Fred Rogers helped them look beyond their own selves and see all the blessings that were in their lives. Now, some of them might have been there in a really hard day. They might have said, but you don't know what I'm going through. But even in the midst of a hard day, he said, let's look for the good. He showed a heart of gratitude. That is what a heart of gratitude is all about. That's what Paul's heart was like. And that's how our hearts have to be if we want to be filled with joy 
in good times as well as in bad times. So we see from the Apostle Paul to have a heart filled with joy in the midst of even chaos is the first thing. It starts with a heart of gratitude. But what else do we find out from this text about a heart, the heart of Apostle Paul as he penned this thank you note? I think the next thing is this, that not only was he a heart full of gratitude, that his heart was other-focused, other-focused. When gratitude is an internal quality, looking for the good and being grateful for it, being other-focused is how that's expressed outwardly. Just in the next chapter of the book of Philippians, Paul is going to write these words. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Ask yourself a question this morning. When was the last time you saw someone put the interests of others, of someone else, ahead of their own interests? Don't we seem to see uh, just the opposite most often? It's much more about people standing up for their rights. Give me my privileges. Me, me, my, my, that's kind of the world that we live in. Maybe one place, I was thinking about this, one place that we see this more more often is when we look at a good and a godly mother with her children, always putting the needs of her kids before her own. And I thought, how would I say that? How would I see it? And I said, you know how I would see it to be true? By seeing the bags under her eyes that keeps her awake and keeps her busy when everybody else is doing something for themselves. That's what the Apostle Paul was like. I think the Apostle Paul had bags under his eyes for being other-focused and loving on other people. Paul was other-focused. And we can see this in this text because we can see it in his prayers. Most of what we find written um, by Paul in this section is a prayer that Paul is praying for the Philippians. And what a privilege we have. He writes out the prayer that he's been praying for them. And that prayer, what we see is it's focused on other people. He's praying for the goodness and the blessings of his friends in Philippi. And look what he prays for. Look at verses 9 through 11. And he says, And this I pray, that you may approve more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ have been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Basically, he prays, first of all, for their spiritual development, that they would grow in love, which he says then he prays, which will then lead them into knowing what is really true, having spiritual knowledge, real knowledge, and discernment, which he says then will result in their living good lives, sincere and blameless and righteous lives. Paul wanted what was best for the Philippians, and he was moved to write a thank you note to them in prison and then to pray for them. And in verse 4, he says, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Once again, let's think about something here. How often do we really pray for others? And I'm including myself. Remember, I always say, when you point the finger, three more are pointing back at you. How often do we honestly really pray for others? We may help other people. 
hey, can you give me a hand? Sure. Or we may say, hey, I'll be praying for you. But how often do we really pray for other people? See, praying for others takes time. Praying for others takes energy. Praying for others takes a heart that honestly does care how things are going in the life of another people, a person. And Paul says in the text here that he prayed for others all the time. Maybe this is one of the reasons that God was able to use Paul so wonderfully. As a man of prayer, he would have been open to hearing the voice of God and being moved by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is something that we really need to think about today and not quickly move past. Matter of fact, when I wrote this, I thought it seemed so elementary that it needed to be said, but it absolutely has to be said. See, I've seen, we've been around long enough, you see some things that change. And I've seen, I've experienced a shift in the emphasis that is made on prayer over my lifetime in the church world. As a new follower of Christ in the early 1980s, when people prayed, when we prayed, and we got together and prayed all the time, when we prayed and what was talked about prayer and what was practiced in prayer was usually praying for others, for God to do mighty things for others, salvations, healing, deliverance, filling with the Spirit. We prayed for others. That was our focus of our prayer times. And then over time, there's been a movement away from that, kind of from the prayer list prayers, and much of the movement has been good and needed, the just swing that's been happening, because the shift moved towards prayer being an avenue for really experiencing the reality of God. It was about relationship. And prayer has shifted to sitting with God and, and contemplative prayer and being with God. And, and I think this has been a very good shift. Because prayer is primarily about a relationship. And much of the prayer that I was taught in the 80s had little to do with relationship, but much to do with accomplishment. Yet this shift has maybe gone too far. And most movements and shifts do. See, for one to understand that prayer is primarily relationship does not need to exclude the dimension of prayer being prayed on the behalf of others also. See, Paul walked in a rich relationship with Jesus and from that relationship flowed a passion to pray for other people, to be other-focused in life and other-focused in prayer. And I think this is something God is saying loud and clear to his church in this day right now. He's saying the pendulum has swung too far. That he's calling us to love others enough to spend the time, to invest the energy into praying for others, to honestly set time aside and ask God to intervene on behalf of other people by God intervening in the lives of others for their benefit and no benefit of our own. And that might sound elementary, but I think it's a shift that must take place in the church world today. Sitting with Jesus is great and is essential but it must just be the seed for to grow out of now to honestly invest our energy into praying for others. And that's what we see with the Apostle Paul. He was other-focused. And notice something here in the text because we're constantly going to come back to this idea, this three-letter word, J-O-Y. Paul ties his prayers for others to his joy. 
what he says. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Paul's heart was filled with joy because he was being other-focused in prayer. This reveals something that is counterintuitive, but it's true. Joy is experienced when we practice putting others ahead of ourselves. Have you ever seen the acronym for joy? What talks about how we can experience joy? I have a, a slide for us to look at today. Have you ever seen this before? I think I've actually probably mentioned this in the past, but, but this is a, a definition of joy or how joy works. Joy comes when you put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. J-O-Y. The order matters. To be self-centered, um, to the self-centered world rather, this is nonsense. To the self-centered world, this is absolute foolishness. They would say joy or happiness comes when you always and only focus on yourself first. Jesus isn't part of the equation. And others, and maybe they'll say he is, but he's really not. And others come somewhere down with the leftovers. To a self-centered culture, this is nonsense. But in the kingdom of God, we live by the reality of God's principles. Remember what Paul prayed for for them in here? He prayed that they would have real knowledge and discernment. That's what Paul's praying for. To see the world the way the kingdom of God teaches truth. And the kingdom of God teaches that this is true. It's what Paul is modeling. That joy comes from having Christ first, then looking for these others, and then ourselves. That's kingdom thinking. That's real knowledge and discernment. And, and, and it's God's truth. It's a truth of the kingdom. Joy doesn't come through self-indulgence. It doesn't. Indulge your kids. Give them everything they want for a week and see how happy they are. They're miserable. They're unhappy. Joy doesn't come through self-indulgence. And the world reveals that because the world indulges itself all the time. And the one thing you can say about the world right now is there's not a lot of joy. Joy, like the Apostle Paul experienced, chained to a guard, sitting in a prison, writing a thank you note, saying, I'm happy and joyful when I think of you. That joy comes from putting other needs in front of our own. Now, does that mean that you're just a doormat or that you don't care for yourself? No, not at all. It's simply revealing that self-indulgent life is a joyless life. But an other-focused life will cause joy to rise in your soul. Loving others, serving others, sacrificing for others, giving for others, helping others. These are the things that lead to a rich and a joy-filled life. That's the truth of the kingdom economy. And that's what Paul discovered and he lived out. And as a result, he was able to experience joy even in um, a jail cell, even in the worst adversity that he'd ever been in in his life. So, do you want a joy-filled life? I do. Do you want a life that's, de that's defined by joy? I do. Paul shows here that it's built upon a heart of gratitude and other centeredness. 
Now, that's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. But it's the economy of the kingdom of God. And I say this, church, why don't we try it? Why don't we try it? If it's, if it's different thinking than you're used to, why don't we try it? And here's what I know about having a, a life built upon gratitude and other-centeredness. That's not tied to abilities. You don't have to be a superstar to do that. It's not tied to resources. It's not what, what we're wishing. Any one of us, no matter what stage of life, what age, what, what, where we are in our development, any one of us, no matter what our resources, can live lives where we look for the good, even if it's bad, and we focus on that, and we, and we put the needs of others. We say, how can I help others as, the, as just the, the goal of my life? Any of us can do that. These aren't tied to our abilities. They're not tied to our resources. They are tied to the willful choices that we make. I get to choose this or not choose this. And I got to tell you, a lot of times I don't choose this. I act like a little child, a little spoiled child. And you know what I say? I don't, but I don't want to wear a mask. <laughs> I don't want to ride the pony. You know, what's that from? I say all this stuff that, that I just say, I don't, I don't want to do this. Instead of thinking about other people. We put the needs of others ahead of ourselves and we look for the good. I can wear a mask and I can come to church. When in China right now they can't come to church, they'd give anything to come to church. And I can come to church. They're tied to the choices that we make. I can look for the good and be grateful for it even in hard times. And I can think of the needs of others and choose to put those needs ahead of my own. Church, we can learn from what the Apostle Paul shows us here. We can live lives of joy. We can grow into this by the choices we make. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Lord, this is counterintuitive. We look at somebody like the Apostle Paul and we say, that seems impossible. How could that guy be filled with joy in the midst of his hard situation? But Lord, now we find ourselves in a hard situation. A lot of us. There's a lot of junk going on in our world right now that we have no control over. And we want to fight it. We want to resist it. We want to we want to rebel against things. But Lord, help us to learn from Mr. Rogers. Help us to learn from the Apostle Paul. That we can live in this world and we can do what we did this morning in worship. We can put everything else aside. And we can see what's good and beautiful and wonderful. We can look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We can think about our wonderful families. We can think of our wonderful blessings. Even though some things are hard, we can think about what's good. And we can be grateful. Then God, today we can say this, how might I bless somebody else? How might I bless somebody else? I could pray for somebody else. 
could help somebody else. I could call somebody else. I could encourage somebody else. How can I, how can I express the love of Jesus towards somebody else today? Lord, these are things that you can help us to do. And I pray this on behalf of our church family today. God, in a world that is spinning, it seems like a little bit out of control, and our neighbors and our friends are not at peace and they do not have joy, would you help this group right here, Portland Church, anybody who's watching on the internet today, could you help us to put these things into practice so that, Lord, joy will rise up in our hearts? Lord, we need your strength to do that. We need you to help us see the world differently. We need to see our own lives differently. Lord, so many times I'm used to just getting my own way and fighting for my own way and being upset when it doesn't happen that way. But Paul didn't have his way. He was locked in jail. He wasn't fighting and he wasn't crying and he wasn't balking. Recalling the good to his friend looking for the good recalling the good blessing somebody else and as a result he's filled with joy God help us to learn this today just burn it into our souls burn it into my soul so that the fruit of joy will grow inside of each one of us today there's probably no greater gift we could have for ourselves and we could give to the world than be people who are filled with the joy of the Lord and lift up the people around us. So Holy Spirit, I pray, do your work deep within our hearts. The work that only you can do. Cause transformation. Only you can do that as we surrender to you. Cause us to be people filled with great joy. Give our hearts to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God's word is intensely practical. God gives us clear ways we can walk that will benefit us and benefit the world. Isn't that what we want? Amen. Well, friends, God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. If you would like prayer this morning, you're welcome to come down and gladly pray with you. When you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, you quietly make your way out of the church of a wonderful day, being a joy-filled follower of Jesus Christ. Amen?